Enchanted Sky Media. Live from Firehouse World in San Diego, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. It's the final day of Firehouse World here in San Diego, and once again we heard several great learning sessions. With me, as always, is my co-host and fellow podcaster, Rhonda Orr, host of the Rhonda Orr Show about bullying, life, and stuff. She's also my wife. Thank you, and welcome to you, Scott, and everyone. So I heard today was pretty intense for you. We had a powerful discussion by Benjamin Vernon. He's a San Diego firefighter paramedic. He tours the country with this enlightening message about a condition that's very common to the fire departments. It's PTSD. And there are about 10% of fire service members right now who need this type of help from EMDR. I'm the guy, though, that didn't care about mental health. And, and I would have been the one that if you were having trouble, I said, suck it up, buttercup. That's what you signed up for, right? Like, or, or I would have uh, stand you. You know, hey, I saw a dead baby. Oh, I saw two dead babies. Like, why are you complaining? And I'm really embarrassed by that because that, that was definitely my attitude of just I'm a hard charger. And if you're having trouble, you're weak, you need to get out of my way. And, and I just want to go back and punch that kid in the face, you know, the, the class A wearing arrogant person because that's just not who I am anymore, and I, I'm embarrassed. You know, he's humble, and yet he is so strong. In 2015, however, Ben and his partner were attacked by a homeless man with a knife. Their department receives about 25 calls a shift. It was a call that they were used to getting, but one that totally surprised him and his partner. Well, all that changed for me on June 24, 2015, right down. Now, this took place on Park and Market. Uh, I'm an engine four uh, downtown on heavy rescue. Uh, it is our busiest engine company in the whole city. We average about 7,000 calls a year. So we run 20 to 25 calls a shift. 90% are medical aid as well. Of those, almost all of them are intoxicated, uh, drunks, drugs, psych, right? All the stuff you get with downtown homeless populations. Um, we get in altercations all the time. We're restraining people all the time to the point that you just get numb to it, right? You just don't even think that you're in danger. This is our patient. This is Ryan Jones, a.k.a. Stabby. I call him Stabby Stabberton. Um, he is a homeless guy that wants to help this gentleman. These guys are trolley security guards, and I want to make it abundantly clear this is not San Diego PD. San Diego PD, if they'd been on scene, I think this call would have gone a lot different. Uh, but these guys carry guns, they carry mace, they have handcuffs, they've got badges, they've got the belts, they look like cops, and I think my mistake on scene is I gave them a lot more credit for the training that they've had than, than I probably should have. And what happens is the fight starts here, it spills over here, I go over the railing to get involved, I, I'm honestly not trying to get in the fight, I'm trying to break up the fight, and when the fight turns on me, I back up, I try to get away, and I run into this railing, and this railing ends up trapping me. I have to be the only firefighter in history to get stuck outside. I'm kind of proud of that and really embarrassed at the same time, right? This railing ends up trapping me with this guy. 
right? Now this guy turns out he was a, a prison knife fighter, and I didn't know that. He is not drunk, he is not psychotic, he is angry. And he locks eyes with me, and I'm just going, easy buddy, why are we fighting, what's happening, I'm trying to figure it out. And he says, I got you now. And I remember thinking, well, that's not a good thing to say. And so I try to run. This knife missed my kidney by about an inch, severed a nerve in my back. Uh, that one punctured my lung and broke my rib. That is an incredible story. You know, Scott, he showed us the news reports, and they were hard to watch. He told about his reactions afterwards, and that confirmed that he met all of the criteria in the book on PTSD. Well, what happens is over time, you suppress emotion for so long that you get off balance. And so he said, what happens is guys have been doing this a long time, men and women have been doing this a while, they get so off balance, they've suppressed emotion so long that it actually starts leaking out in other ways. And as he said that, I was suddenly remembering, uh, like two weeks before, I was sitting at home watching TV, just killing the day. My wife's, thank God she wasn't there. And I watch a commercial and it's for hemorrhoid, like hemorrhoid cream. And this grown man, you know, he sits down and he's like, oh, I got hemorrhoids. And his dad, silver-haired guy, walks in and he goes, oh, son, you got the family hemorrhoids. He goes, use the family cream. And this, the kid goes, oh, dad, you've always been there for me. And they hug it out. And suddenly I'm, right, I'm like, what is happening? Like, why am I crying? I don't even have hemorrhoids. But I'm just like, this is so beautiful. You know, and I'm like, what? Or I sit down and my wife, you know, put the toilet paper roll and, and she didn't go over the top the way God intended, right? And I get so angry that I rip the toilet paper out of the wall. You know, I'm like, God, it's toilet paper. All I got to do is switch it. But instead, I'm just, I, I lose it, right? I'm just super angry. And of course, the, the, the hemorrhoid cream one's a little different, but the violent behavior is fairly common. Fairly common. In fact, some of those criteria are irritability, aggressive behavior, self-destructive or reckless behavior, hypervigilance, and exaggerated startled response, responses that happen when you don't expect them, and you can't concentrate and worst. The worst of all was that Ben could not sleep because of the night terrors. So he was looking for a professional and going through four other professionals, one that actually told him if he would just stop drinking caffeine at night, he wouldn't have night terrors. Can you imagine? That'll fix it. Yeah, that'll fix it. So he finally found someone that was actually serving in the police department, and he told him about EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Take a listen. We're driving, I just pick up the phone, I call a foreman. I call the doc. I go, hey, uh, you got a space in the next couple days because I'm about to run a call that sucks. I'll see you soon, right? And then I run it, I go, yep, that sucked. And then I go into his office and I EMDR it, I let it go. I'm done and I feel invincible. And it's this, this reason that I'm, I'm traveling all over the country trying to get people to learn about EMDR. And, and again, the, the guy from Charleston yesterday learned about it in 2010. I learned about it in 2015. Why are we not spreading the word? And I'll talk to three people in an audience. I'll talk to 300. I don't care. I just need to get the message out so that you guys can spread the word. Hey, there is a treatment that can help you mentally deal with the cause that we run. I've never heard of that. So please, please, please share that 
I love how he's pleading with everyone to share what they can do and how they can manage their PTSD. There have been many positives to actually come from that knife attack. These are some of the cool things that have come from this incident is that we have a really robust mental health program now and, and I would we have a long way to go, but I would put San Diego as, as one of the leading departments now as far as mental health. We have focus. Our department got contracts with focus. The day that the word came out that professional psychologists understood our culture, 80 people signed up to see them immediately. I have 935 sworn members. We're talking just shy of 10% of our job immediately went to get help. And here's why I would challenge, I'd put my department against anyone else's department. You think we're different? You think we're softer? I mean, we got... We have an amazing department with, with a bunch of go-getters, and so I would say your department is probably in the same boat. Roughly 10% are dying for help. That's really something. Well, he was talking about how if you suppress your emotions, and doctors, police officers, uh, many other professionals that do what he does in saving lives... They, they have to use the left side of their brain, which is the practical side, in order to get the job done, in order to help the people that he goes on a run to help. But the problem is that if you suppress and suppress and suppress the right side of your brain, where all your emotions are located, they just start to leak out because you, you can't have all those emotions and not have them leak out. They leak out of the right side of the brain. And that's what happens when you have PTSD. And the process, in the most layman terms that I can think of, of EMDR is that the therapist, he he doesn't perform hypnosis. Now, Ben mentioned that he was afraid that's what he was doing. No, it's not hypnosis at all. It is simply putting three fingers or using another method. You can tap. You can do other things. But going back and forth between the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain. And as you watch these fingers go back and forth to the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. And you talk sequentially about what happened. That process is enough to allow all of those leaking emotions to come out, to make sense, and you're alleviated. On his very first session, he said, the therapist said, you're going to be able to sleep tonight. And lo and behold, he was able to sleep. That was just a miracle, I think. And we'll have him on Code 3 down the road to talk more about the miracle. He seems to want to speak to as many people as possible. I'm, I'm really thankful for him, and I did see his before and after picture, and the before picture was a, a perfect, good-looking uh, firefighter, and uh, everything was just so, you know, and then the after picture was a much more soft, humble, and yet you could see his strength, you could see his passion, you could see his resolve to help others do a great job, but not let it ruin their lives. All right, thanks for sitting in on that session. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is 
You do not talk about Fight Club. And the fire service is sometimes like that. There are a lot of things that you do not talk about. But today, Captain Dan Mafia from Fayetteville, North Carolina, did talk about some of those things. The taboos, the things that we don't normally talk about. And one of them was how people react to changes. Why are we so afraid of change? It's human nature, right? Why are we so afraid of change? Because we are so used to doing things a certain way that we don't like to admit that there might be a better way to do it. Anybody using their phones at work for CAD? Yeah, that's, that's something that we're just starting to get into now. Our battalion chiefs have tablets. We've, got all, we've all got the MDTs, they have mobile data terminals and computers, but now they're talking about getting an app that's going to give us all the information and taking the computers out of the rig so that they don't have to keep buying computers every couple of years. Oh, how technology has advanced, right? But with that, with new technology and with social media, it can be both a blessing and a curse, can't it? And about every 10, 15 years, something new comes into our, our paradigm. He pointed out that the public's perception of firefighters is a little hard to meet, mostly because of television. What does the public expect from us? The public expects perfection, don't they? All the time, 24-7, 365. And the old chief of Chicago said it best. They don't want to see a couple of guys in a pickup truck show up. They want, they want five brain surgeon decathlon champions to come out and solve all their problems. Isn't that the expectations of the citizens? How many times have we heard, well, I, you know, can't you do this? I saw it on TV. Anybody have an opioid problem in their area? Oh, yeah, we all do, right? And what's, that, what's the greatest drug ever invented to combat the opioids? Narcan, right? So everyone's carrying Narcan now, right? What happens when you have an overdose and you give Narcan and you do CPR and you shock them and you do everything that we can do and they still die? What does the bystander, what does the citizen, what does the family say to you? I don't say to us. I usually say one of two things. If it was your family member, you would have saved them. Or, I don't understand why you couldn't save them. You gave them Narcan. Why aren't they, why, why, didn't, why are they dead? Sometimes people's expectations are unrealistic. That's sad. It is because these firefighters are all working as hard as they can. They're so committed. For members of the public to say that they don't care or they would have tried harder. It just, it makes no sense. That it doesn't make any sense because I've never seen a group of people try so hard that it often ruins their own health. Finally today, I sat in on The Art of Reading Smoke. The seminar was given by Phil Jost, Deputy Chief of the Seattle Fire Department. Here's some of what he had to say. What's some of the language of the, of the reading smoke vocabulary? Yeah, volume, velocity, density, and color, right? So that's, how many people have seen, seen that mantra in some other program this week? Right, yeah, I saw it three times, right? which is great because that's the work Dave's done is, is to ingrain that in our, in our culture, right? So let's talk about volume, velocity, density, color. So we're going to talk about the reading smoke process, which is 
uh, really just is three easy steps, right? One is to recognize, read those attributes, volume, velocity, density, color, apply them to the box that you're going to be working in, and then figure out where the fire is, where it's going, and how long it's going to take to get there, right? That's the reading smoke process in, in total. And with that, there are sort of three principles that we talked about. One is that a smoke is fuel, right? And uh, we talked about the, the fuels have changed, and uh, if anybody's paying attention to UL and this, you know that the fuel package in, in the modern fire environment, fire environment is significantly different than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I was talking to uh, um, one of the guys from UL the other night at the mixer, and I said, I, you know, I, I'm surprised myself at how often I pull up to a fire and look at it and go, wow. Like, this thing is huge compared to the fires that I was going to in the late 80s and the early 90s. I mean, it's just a, it's just a marked difference in the, in the fire behavior. Quite a talk. His talk is based on research done by others, but he wants to pass it on and continue the art of reading smoke. I think that's intriguing. Well, all right, let's move on to the trivia for the day. It's been three straight days of trivia. What type of finial is used on top of the bell on American LaFrance fire apparatus made in Canada instead of the Eagle? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. And what's the answer, Scott, to the trivia question? The answer is American LaFrance Bells in Canada are topped with a beaver. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been three straight days of fun, education, entertainment, and building relationships. It's just been amazing to be here. It's been a great week. We want to thank the staff at Firehouse Magazine for their help. And, of course, special thanks to Editor-in-Chief Tim Sindelbach. And thanks to my co-host and wife for all of her help, too. Thank you, Scott. It was fun being here. We'll see you again next week on Code 3. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Code 3.